I'm Martha, and this is George. No. <laughs> I'm Marietta, and this is Greg. I guess you figured that out, though. We wanted to give a little bit of an introduction to the course because it's important for each of you to understand that sitting here isn't going to change your life. But you're going to have to apply the things that you learned and that you're learning through these uh, next six sessions into your life. And believe it or not, it will, it will apply. The, the truths that you learn through here will apply not only in your marriage, but will apply in other relationships in your life on a somewhat limited basis. Because there's nothing quite like the relationship between a man and a woman. And uh, the reason God used marriage as a metaphor is because it's so powerful. And there's a unity that exists in a marriage that exists in no other relationship. If you're like most people, including Greg and I, you didn't get any help when you got married. You might have gone through a little bit of counseling, premarital counseling, and maybe you didn't even do that. And, you know, we spend more time learning how to drive a car than we do how to drive our life together. So the purpose of, our, of this course is to help you look at your relationship with your husband or your wife and to continue to develop it, sanctify it, the same way we do our relationship with Christ. If we never take it out and look at it, it stagnates. And we end up just moving from point to point to point and never really develop the fullness that we were meant to have as a married couple. What you put into this is what you're going to get out of it. Okay, now that everybody's here and we've locked the doors, there is homework. <laughs> and we won't be grading your homework, but what we would ask you to do is to do the homework. If you really want to affect a change, you have to do the homework because it shows you how to look at yourself, how to change who you are, how to examine who you are, if you never get to that point of examination, you're, we're never going to change anything. We just talk about it. All right. Um, while Marietta is taking care of that, I just want to start off by saying that I'm going to use this quote from, from Billy Graham, and Billy Graham says that the perfect marriage is a uniting of three persons, a man, a woman, and God. That is what makes marriage holy. What we want to do during the, the course of the, these sessions is, is bring all of you to an understanding that, that the culture stands in opposition to what God says a one flesh relationship should look like in so many ways. And so what we're going to do during this course is we're going to push away some of those things that the, the, the devil would lie to you, take those away, and restore uh, a view of, of your covenant relationship with your husband or wife um, 
the way that God sees it. See, God is, God is truly a relational God. We know that. In the beginning, God walked with us, or walked with Adam and Eve, in the garden. In the end, he is putting in place circumstances and, and has already put in place things that will allow us to walk with him again. And so the reason that he actually sent his son is so that he can relate to us. So what we're going to talk about today is covenant. And you may have never even heard that term. And love. Okay. While Marietta continues to pass some of this material out, I just want to explain what covenant is. Covenant is stands in direct opposition to what the world would tell us that that marriage is. Covenant is a promise to do something specific regardless of the performance of the other party. And so when, when we entered into this one flesh relationship, we actually covenanted it with each other. A lot of times what the world tells us anymore is that, that this situation is a contract. In other words, um, Marietta and I will stay married as long as she is performing her end of the deal. I'm performing my end of the deal. That's not what God's standard is in regards to a one-flesh relationship. God's standard in regards to a one-flesh relationship is truly this covenant relationship, this one-flesh relationship that we have. And I want to explain what a covenant actually looks like. In, in Genesis chapter 15, we see one of the first instances of covenant where, where God is speaking to Abram. He's Abram at the time, and you probably remember this story, and and God is telling Abram, hey, Abram, I'm going to do all of these things for you. And Abram's going, God, I'm not seeing it. And God says, bring me a heifer and a goat and a ram and a couple of birds. And he splits them down the middle and he lays the halves apart. And in Genesis 15, what we see is, is God literally comes and, and Abram falls into a deep sleep. That's what the Bible says, a deep sleep. God comes and passes through the halves of these animals. And what he's doing is he's making a declaration of covenant. God is saying, Abram, no matter what you do, I'm going to do what I told you that I'm going to do. So this is the type of relationship that we entered into when we when we made our declaration of marriage in Deuteronomy and, and that's a slide here um, Deuteronomy God is pretty serious about vows in Deuteronomy you can see in this passage that's a, on the slide that when you make a vow to the Lord you shall not delay to pay it that which is gone from your lips you shall keep and perform, for you voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. God is serious about vows. And so when we stood before God and typically other men and made vows, a marriage relationship in our, in our marriage ceremony, God took 
those vows that we made, and he took them very seriously. Sometimes what we find in in these types of situations is that that people will say, "Yeah, but I wasn't walking with the Lord when I made those vows, Brick." You know, kind of different. Well, let me tell you about that. In Joshua chapter nine, we see the children of Israel, and they enter into the land, and they've, get, they've been given some very specific instructions before they enter into the promised land. And so in Joshua chapter 9, they're told to go in and wipe everybody that they find in there out. Everybody. That's what God tells them. Go in there, wipe them out. All the ites. You go in there, wipe them out. So the Gibeonites, they're looking around, and they're seeing the children of Israel wipe out all the ites. And they're like, this is a big problem. So they come up with a plan. And they say, you know what we'll do? We'll make ourselves all dirty. We'll, we'll get some skinny camels. We'll get some old dry, dried wineskins. We'll tell the children of Israel to keep them from wiping us out. We're going to tell them, hey, you know, we're from a faraway land. Don't wipe us out. And so they approach the children, the leaders, the elders of the tribes of Israel, and they say, hey, we're ambassadors from a faraway land. Don't wipe us out. And the leaders look at the Gibeonites, and they say, you know, you guys do look like you're from a faraway land. And so without consulting God, they make a vow with the Gibeonites to, to protect them, to, to spare them. And then they find out after the fact, they find out that the Gibeonites were inhabitants of the land. They were supposed to be wiped out with all the rest of the ites. And so they, you know, they, this is a big problem. So they go before the Lord. Hey, Lord, what do, you, what, do, what do you want us to do? God says, you didn't consult me on this deal. Okay? You leave them, you know, you can make them slaves. And so they were slaves. They were preserved. But God, because they made a vow, God expected them to go ahead and meet their vow, even though the vow was made without the consultation of the Lord. And so 400 years later, we see the Gibeonites serving the children of Israel during the time of David. So you can't get out because, hey, we got married, you know, before we were walking with the Lord. God is so serious about this that he uses the concept of, 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 of vowing and making these vows between Marietta and I so seriously that he uses it time and again in the, as an illustration in the scriptures of of, of, in the case of Malachi uh, chapter 2, you see it used as God is actually talking to the, the children of Israel. And they say, because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Now, God is talking to the children of Israel and saying, hey, you've dealt with me treacherously, but I have covenanted with you. This is important to me. So he uses this time and time and time again to illustrate that what this relationship is is extremely important to him, God. We contrast that with what a contract is. 
So understanding that a covenant is a is between two parties and it isn't contingent on whether the other person performs their half of the contract. So if you go to buy a house um, and you put some money down and you never put the rest of the money, you're not going to get the house, right? Well, a covenant says that you'd still get the house because it doesn't matter that one party failed to perform. The um, covenant of marriage is so important to God that he wants... He keeps using it over and over again in his word to, as the bride and bridegroom, Christ and the church. And so because of that, we have to look very hard at what a covenant, what our covenant looks like, what our marriage covenant looks like. And most of us went into getting married knowing that divorce was on the table, right? We may not have said it. We may not have written it out. But, you know, in the back of our mind, it's there. It's on the table whether we consciously were consciously thought about it or not. And there's always that safety net in case you made a mistake. Is that right? You understand what I'm saying here? I'm not saying that divorce is a safety net. I'm saying that in our singleness, when we entered into a marriage contract, that we were worried that maybe we might have made a mistake and we always had, we had a way out. There was our way out. Where just a few generations ago, there was no way out for most people. Um, you want me to come with it? Okay. So one of the foundational truths that we have to look at is to change our mindset and and just from the get-go, from this point forward, think in terms of divorce is not an option for me. might be for somebody else, but it's not for me. And that's the first part of ripping away the foundation that the world has set and building the foundation that God wants us to have. Now, that said, I don't want anyone to feel any condemnation if they've been married before. A lot of people in this room have been married before. I am talking, including Greg and I, I'm talking about from this point forward, from who you're with right now, who you're married with, this is the marriage we're talking about. When Jesus talked to the woman at the well, and he said to her, um, you've had five husbands, and the man you're with right now is not your husband, he told her to go and sin no more. Well, did that mean she had to go back and remarry the first guy? No. It's from this point forward. So this is what we, what we want you to look at. If you've been married before, there's no condemnation from Christ, from us, or from anybody in this room. We all have to walk in the type of forgiveness and, and, and mercy towards each other that we expect to be shown ourselves. Amen. Um, when you covenanted with your spouse, a the Bible says that a mysterious thing happened, and you can go ahead and advance the slide. 
I want to advance it one more time. And let's look at, look at this passage. The Bible says, Jesus here quoting the Old Testament, the saying, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, reference back to uh, Genesis 1, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, this is Jesus speaking, they are no longer two, but one flesh. One flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. When we covenanted with each other, um, we entered into something that actually is spiritual in nature. And we're going to get into this more and more during the conduct of these sessions. But I do want you to understand this concept of one flesh. What that means is that I now have positioned myself to no longer be interested in in me, but I am now more interested. I have to put the we, Marietta and I, first and foremost in everything that, that, that we do. Now, for me, and I want to tell you this story, this is a... A, a bit of a difficult thing because when Marietta and I first began to um, b- began to romance each other, I guess would be the word that I would say. The thing that attracted me to Marietta was how independent she was. She was a very independent woman. Well, what I found out, and I'm just being upfront about this, what I found out is the same thing that really attracted me as a man, that when we got married, absolutely drove me crazy. I'm just, I'm just being honest about it. I mean, I mean, so, and and really, this is one of the reasons that we teach this course because. Both Marietta and I are extremely independent. We're really independent. And so we have had to develop an understanding of what one flesh means and why God created this whole concept of one flesh. And so I have to be reminded time and time and time again because, you know what, I have a hard head. And so when Marietta, now that we're married, when she becomes independent... I'm not thinking anymore, well, that's really attractive. I'm like, (laughs) what I am now thinking is more along the lines of, God, help me lay down my desires and be more interested in the desires that you have for Marietta and I as a one flesh couple. So when, when we talk about one flesh during the during the conduct of this this course, you will you will understand a little bit more about how we got there. One flesh is really the death of Marietta as an independent person. It's the death of me as an independent person. It's the coming together of Marietta and I as a one flesh couple with a focus on God. What are you going to have us do? What are you going to have us do? The other half of that story about Greg and I being so independent when we were first married, 
great picture of that was we had moved into a house that that um, was older and it had started to be updated. It was all of the light switches and plug-ins were the old putty color, and this was in the early 90s, and everything was white, right? White. All the new houses had white. I wanted white. So I looked at that and went down to Home Depot or whatever the the uh, building supply was of the day and purchased white switches, white plug-ins, all the plates to cover them, and went home and turned off the electricity and started changing them all out. Now, Greg came home from work, and um, I had turned everything back on because I knew he was coming home from work soon, and um, I had taken a few months off work to get us settled into our new house and our new, uh, our, the new state we lived in. And he walked in. He said, what have you been doing all day? And I said, well... I've been changing out all the light switches and outlets. He looked at me real puzzled and said, what? So I, I showed him what I had been doing. I said, I wanted white ones. And he looked at it. And he looked at me and he said, well, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> and so right away, I knew that I had to lay down all that independent streak that I had had. If I wanted something done, I had to do it myself. And I had to see that for him, and part of the value he got as a man and as my husband, was to be able to do things for me. <laughs> I... Uh... I was a brave guy when I used those outlets. <laughs> no, I'm just really kidding. She did a good job. She really did a good job. And, and that is a great example. I had forgotten about that story, but it's a great example of, of Marietta. She was more than capable of doing these things, but she recognized that I had a need um, to 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 do these kind of things as well. So she was willing to lay that kind of stuff down. <clears throat> so we're going to we're going to shift gears here a little bit and we're going to move away from the concept of, of covenant as God prescribes it and we're going to talk a, a a little bit about love. This is another area that that our culture has probably painted uh, a, a little bit of a picture that, that we need to overcome as married couples. Um, if you look at your handout that we gave you, you can look and see that, that what we've done is we've actually taken the definition in terms of a verb and a noun and from dictionary.com. So this is, what, this is what our culture, the world right now, would tell us that love is. Um, and I think it's interesting as I was looking at this this particular page today, Marietta and I were going over this this lesson. The thing that struck me is that if you look at what the book definition of love is, and I'm talking about the verb and the noun, and then you look at what the 
book, that is the capital B book definition of love is and how it applies, it's so different. It's so different. You see that the dictionary would tell us that it's to have, to have. See that? To have. And this is taken right out of, uh, off of dictionary.com. To have, to need, to embrace. But what, what God sees as love is really something quite different, quite different. And this has particular application to all of us that are married in this room. You see, the book definition for love, am I going too far? Am I doing good? Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, the, the biblical use of the word love, there's, there's, there's two, at least two, uh, two uses of the, of the Greek love. One is, is the Greek phileo, which is kind of a, a brotherly love, chiefly of the heart. And then there's agapeo love. And I know that a lot of you in this room have heard these two terms used before. But the agapeo love is a much broader, much more selfless love. Okay? And notice what the Strong's definition says there on that third bullet point. It's chiefly of the head. So as you look at this this page here and you look at what the world would say, this is love. And what the culture sends through movies, through books. Um, sometimes we learn from others about love. And, and what, the, what God says love is, is completely different. You see, love in this, in this application is actionable. It's actionable. So when I decide that I am going to love Marietta, now, don't get me wrong. When we started out in our relationship, and and this still happens all the time, praise God, you know, I do have an emotional attachment towards Marietta. There's no doubt about it. But the thing is, is that now, if, if that's all that I can count on, to sustain this relationship or all that we would count on to sustain our relationship, we're probably not in a good position. When you get into what God says love is, and that is, I am going to make a decision, just like God made a decision to love each and every one of us. I'm going to make a decision. I look at Marietta and I say, you know, there are times where I don't feel, I'm just saying, straight up. I don't feel like, you know, I don't feel like I'm loving Marietta. And it could be because of something that's going on with me. It could be because of something that's going on with Marietta. It could be my flesh rising up, pride, any number of things. But the way that I get beyond that is having an understanding of God telling me to make a choice, overcome those things, and I'm going to love Marietta in an agapeo, chiefly of the head, fashion. You have some things to add there. 
Don't you? Do you like a pale me? I do. Hallelujah. I do very much. <laughs> the picture that we have of love that we've been painted either by media, um, just by, the, by what the culture that we live in is one that actually contaminates what true love is. Because that picture that's been painted for most of us is a love that, that is based on us feeling good about something. And it, and it, and in and of itself feels good. And then so when we get to the point that our relationship no longer feels good, then we want out because we must not be in love anymore. And so we contrast that, as, as Greg was telling you, with the biblical truth of love is Jesus commanded it. He said um, in Matthew, and I believe we writ- wrote those scriptures out for you in your handouts. I missed the page there. He, when he was asked, Teacher, what is the greatest command, the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Some of us don't see our husband or our wife as our neighbor. You know, and there are times where I have to make a decision, sorry, honey, to see Greg as my neighbor. I, now, just saying, I don't know if anyone else in this room has had the same experience with their spouse where, you know, you just kind of wonder, what did you get yourself into? But we come back to the biblical foundation, our truth of they're our neighbor. They're our first neighbor. They're our best neighbor. They're the one that we should be pouring everything into. And sometimes it's easier to pour it into a stranger than it is to pour it into the person that sleeps with you at night. Right? Okay. Uh, That's a good step right there. One of the second truths that we wanted you to take home tonight from the material is that you can't, we, we can't continue to compare our marriage, our spouse, to other people. And that's what the world wants us to do. They want you to look at your spouse um, missing my page here. They want you to look at your spouse and... Go ahead with that. That wasn't on that page. (laughs) Why am I having so many problems with pages today? Hmm. It's like, compare... If we start looking at each other's spouse, we can always find somebody, because we're on the outside, we don't go home with them at night, who looks better to us than the person that we're married to. 
And we can always find somebody else's relationship to look at and say, I wish I had that relationship. Because we're not privy to the intimate details of that relationship. So the second truth is that that we have to reaffirm, I will not compare my spouse, my husband, or my marriage to anybody else's. You know, nobody else's. Got to start with, this is who I'm married to. This is my, this is what I'm sewing into right here. And just like Jesus said to, uh, was it Paul, Peter? Um, what, what is it to you, what I'm doing with? Oh, yeah, I said it to Peter. Peter. Yeah. What is it to you, what I'm doing with him when they said, hey, what's going to happen with this guy? What's he got? What do you got going for him? And in our marriage, we have to look, what's God, going, God got going for this right here? Amen. You want to cover that third one? Or no. No, you go ahead. So let's get back to the agape love. Um, we want to understand that, that there is a, the love, is commanded in the Bible. So if it's commanded by God, then it's something that we can definitely do, right? If God would command it, we can do it. Jesus, and if you could throw up that, that scripture, Matthew 22, honey. Let's look at Matthew 22. Look at this. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus, what Jesus has done here is he has connected loving God with loving others. You see that? Loving God, and then Jesus connects it with loving others. So I need, if, if I'm commanded to love God and then commanded to love others, I, need, I can love Marietta by choice, by choice. In the scriptures, and you can go ahead and throw the First John up there. First John says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any, at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. So what John is writing here is he is connecting... Um, Love, our love, with obedience to God. So that if I love Marietta, and I love her the right way, and if you love your spouse, and you love him or her the right way, you are walking in obedience to God. Let me throw up that uh, 1 Corinthians. Let's look at this passage in 1 Corinthians 13. Verses 4 through 8. This is known as the love chapter. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. 
Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. What Paul is writing in this passage is that love is made in a series of choices and in acts of devotion. You see this? So that if I'm going to love, obviously, that means that I'm going to be patient and I'm going to be kind and I'm not going to be envious. So there's a series of actions that are prescribed that show love, and this is how I can show love to Marietta. So this is the kind of love that God expects us to have for our spouse. It's a, it's a love that is unconditional. God showed you unconditional love, right? He showed you unconditional love. He knew that you were imperfect. There are times where I look at Marietta and believe me, I'm like, okay, we are using this just to illustrate a point. But there are times where I'm sitting there looking at Marietta and I'm like, see how he's holding me at arms. <laughs> I'm looking at Marietta and I'm saying, this is, you know, this is not exactly what I expected, you know. But at that point, I am showing love in a way that God showed me love. He knew that I was imperfect. He knew that I was a sinner, and yet he showed me unconditional love. In like manner, if Marietta, if I feel like Marietta has sinned against me, she hasn't met my standard, she hasn't been the perfect partner that I created in my head, I still love her. I still love her. You see this? I am going to purpose to love this woman in a very definitive way. I'm going to purpose to love her in acts of devotion, in action. Not to say that either of us always get this right. Sorry, honey. We don't. (laughs) But that's our goal. And we realize that we're two imperfect people in this relationship. And the the difference is that we realize that we are in a period, as long as we're alive and breathing, of sanctification in this relationship. Similarly, the way that we are in a constant period of sanctification with the Lord and, and becoming a direct reflection of Him, right? That's our goal as, as believers is to become more Christ-like and less like ourselves. Well, in a marriage relationship, this love that we're talking about, this devotion to one another, this decision to love each other is about a continuing process. It doesn't just happen without us working at it, making it better, making good choices for ourselves that are better for the whole. One thing that we want to really point out here while we're teaching this course is, and we said this before we got started and before all of you were in this room, um, but one of the reasons that Marietta and I teach this course is because we need 
There is no doubt about it. We need these tools. So we're not sitting here before you telling you that we get it right all the time. As a matter of fact, it's far from that. But what we do know is that we are equipped with these things that, that God has showed us that we can convey to you that will get you through some of these times where you are not feeling it, where you're not feeling it. And so that's what we're doing here. And I want you to really understand that, that Marietta and I are walking in this day by day, all the time. We are making these choices to, to actually unconditionally love each other, making sure that we have an understanding that we know that the commitment that exists between us is a permanent com- commitment, and we are going to be constructive and pers- purposeful about how we approach this relationship. Even though there are times where you might come over to our house and say, huh, but you know what? Here's what's going to happen. We are going to work our way through this with these kind of biblical tools, and we're going to get to where we're going. Praise God. And that's what we want to see you guys do. I want, I want to show Marietta love because I want to bless her, and I want to bless my marriage. So we have an exercise on page three that we, that we want to take just a few minutes and go through, and there's a, there's a reason for this exercise. All we want, to, want you to do is take just about three or four minutes, not very long, and just write down a few things that demonstrate how you love God. Just write down a few things that demonstrate. Now, the, I know that there were a number of folks that, that came in late, so... Marietta will um, pass out the handouts. Okay. I think the idea that we wanted you to see from this is that love is actionable. It involves doing something rather than just waking up and feeding each other or feeding the kids and getting dressed and going to work and coming home. It actually involves some interaction with God. Our showing him we love him involves doing something with God, for God. Some people probably wrote down that they read the word, that they pray and talk to God, um, that they worship, and all of those are great, but they're things that we're spending time getting to know God with. And we need to devote the same kind of time to our spouse, getting to know them. If we just allow life to fall where it falls, then we don't get to, we won't spend the time because we won't make time for it. So, Part of what um, this, these sessions will involve is not only spending time getting to know each other, but spending time getting to know yourself, focusing on you, learning where your shortcomings are instead of where the other person is falling short in your estimation. And that's really hard. 
in a marriage relationship not to point your finger at the other person as the cause or the reason why things are not going well. We can't change. I can't change how Greg feels. I can't change how he acts. I can't change his response to me. I can only change me. I can only change my response to him. I can only change who I am. I can become a a better person, a different person, but I can't force him to do the same thing. And so through these sessions where we're going to take you through the homework that we're going to give you is actually doing some introspective looks at your own self and where you need to improve in your own eyes. And like I said, we're not going to look at your homework. We're not going to look at this material. So it's the honor system as to whether or not you do it. If you do it, you will get so much more out of this than you will if you just pretend like you did it. (laughs) Okay. And it's designed to, and it will help you in all your relationships and help you grow as a person not only in your relationships but in your relationship with the Lord as well. That's good. Um, so what you wrote down were, were typically actionable things that demonstrate your love for God. We want to talk a little bit on page four about some things that that we sometimes run into as we work with, with uh, uh, in, in this setting. Um, we have a heading there that says avoid conditional tra- traps. All we want to do here is just to throw out some questions about how you actually view love. Do I base my treatment of my spouse on his or her behavior towards me? Think about that. Think about that. Does my beloved actions affect the amount of love that I show him or her? I've been guilty of this one. Do I think that love should be shown only as a reward? Does my beloved need to change before I can love her more? Can I prompt them to change by withholding love? And... Is my behavior a reaction to the way that Marietta is, is, is behaving? Do I react to her most of the time? These are all conditional traps. In other words, this gets you into the mindset where the love that you display can be taken away, taken out of the lane of the unconditional selfless love and over into this conditional love. And this would not be the, the, the love that that would work best in your marriage. You see, the central force here is this thought of agape love. So, I'm going to choose with my will that I am going to love Marietta unconditionally. And the way I'm going to do it is through my attitude. And so, I have to display a good attitude. I, I get that right every day. <laughs> no. Not. 
the words that I speak, um, and then the actions that I take. So, what I'm doing is by, I, I am affirming Marietta through the words that I speak. I tell her that I love her. But I also encourage her, and I also want to take the time to make sure that my actions are are matching up with those words, those words of affirmation, um, so that she knows that I'm caring for her. You talk about this. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Do it again. Again, in order to do, be the best that you can be for your spouse, you have to get to know them. And some of us can't, you know, have a hard time finding a common ground on where to get to know our spouse. Um, when Greg and I were uh, early married, within the first few years, we were both very concentrated in our jobs and careers and going places there and you know, we'd come home and live life kind of one day at a time, like most of you probably have done at some time in your past. And um, what we had to get to the point of is that we we make a, we make ourselves purpose to get to know each other. Now, Greg served time in the Coast Guard Academy, and He likes the water. I could care less about the water. But my husband wanted to buy a boat, not a fishing boat, a ski boat, which means that somebody's got to, A, drive the boat, and somebody else has got to be in the water. And I learned real quickly that involved two people trading places a lot because you get tired if you're the person in the water all the time. And not... Not knowing exactly where we were headed with this, um, I agreed to let him buy, you know, I I agreed with my husband that he's going to get the boat. (laughs) I'd never been on a water ski, and the thought of it was just terrifying to me. How fast does that boat go? How fast are you going to be dragging me around, and am I going to drown while you're doing it? And, uh, but... I wanted to spend time with my husband, and I wanted to learn who he was and more about him and how to love him better. So I purposed in my heart to get behind the boat while he drove it. Hopefully I'd have all my limbs when it was over and learn how to ski. And so over a summer, Greg taught me, I guess, gosh, dating ourselves here, probably in my late 30s, how to water ski. And we had so much fun. And something I thought I would never enjoy, I loved. Not because I love water skiing, but I loved what it did for our marriage. And, And so in... So what I'm telling you is find some common ground. Now, conversely, you want to tell them what sometimes you do with me? (laughs) 
Shop. 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 <laughs> oh my gosh. Mary <laughs> You know, Marietta's not a big shopper, but she likes to shop some, you know, and praise God she's not a big shopper, but you know, <clears throat> I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Right on. Right on. But in order to walk out what we're teaching tonight, man, I, in order to walk out what we're teaching tonight, I go with Marietta. And um, so I'll go with her, and I will sit there, and I do not understand the entire concept about all this. I don't because, you know, she'll tell me that she wants a black jacket. And I go in the store and I find it in like the first two minutes, but that ain't no good. No, we have to look at every stinking black jacket within 42 miles of that place. And we find them all. And then we can pick out which one is good. But I am there. I'm there, you know, because that's what, that's one of the ways that I show Marietta. And as a matter of fact, uh, I am so secure in my manhood that I carry Marietta's purse <laughs> half the time. And I, I even get a kick out of I, I kind of swagger when I go around the store. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Turn the recording off. <laughs> so we do things for each other that alone we would probably not do. But we do them in order to get to know each other better. And surely in each of your relationships, there's some things that you can find that you want to do with the other person or that you maybe you don't want to do, but you will sacrifice. Because remember, love is really about mercy and sacrifice. That's what Jesus did for us. Showed us mercy and paid our sacrifice. And that's what love is about in our marriage is that blend of mercy and sacrifice for each other for the greater good, for the wholeness that's located between you and your, your spouse. You know, you may be in a place where you're, you're, you're hearing some of these words and you're saying, well, you know, that's good and fine, but I will guarantee you one thing. I will guarantee you one thing, that if you actually begin to make these very conscious decisions, begin to pour your life into showing your spouse a sacrificial love, you're going to see a difference in your relationship. can't help but happen. It can't help but happen. It will happen. And um, what will happen is that your spouse will begin to respond, even if it's the littlest thing. It might be the word of affirmation that, that she needs. It might be that little bit of time extra that you're spending, that you're making a sacrifice to give her a little bit of time, but you're doing it anyway. And she's going to recognize that. And she's going to respond. And I know that I respond when, when Marietta does this, those sacrificial things for me. So Marietta wrote something down here. If love is a feeling, really, where is the value? If love is a feeling, where is the value? But if love is a choice, there is the value. So by choosing to 
do those things to, to, to love our spouses, we are showing them that we value them. We are putting them first. So let's go, let's go over these again. As a matter of fact, I, you know, that, that's really good stuff. So go, go for it. Okay. Well, the very last section on your uh, handouts is the foundational truths that we want you to take away tonight for your marriage. And the first one is the mindset of changing your mindset to be one of divorce is not an option for me. Okay. Doesn't matter if your spouse isn't going to stand with you in that. You're here. If they're not, you're going to take that mindset. Divorce is not an option for me. Change can be in a marriage. Change can start with one person changing something. One person. Don't need both people to change. Only one person needs to change. So that was, that's the first truth. The second truth is, as Marietta stated earlier, I will not compare my spouse or my marriage to others. So as we stand, sit before you and, and teach tonight, we don't want any of you to compare your marriage or your spouse to our marriage. It's, it's, it's not about that at all. What God has for you in your marriage is so much greater than we can even envision for you. He really does. God has a plan for each of your marriages. He loves that one flesh relationship. He, later in some of these sessions, we're going to teach about how God views and completes each of us through this one flesh relationship. And so we'll talk about this later on in, in our sessions, but we don't want you to compare your marriage where you're currently at to any other marriage. You walk in what God has for you. God has given you a spouse. And you're not going to compare your spouse to anybody else. You're going to love your spouse. Praise God. And by doing that, you're going to be amazed what God is going to do in your relationship. And then finally, go ahead. Finally, let's remove this. This is a foundational truth. Happiness is not a condition for our love, for my love. In other words, I don't have to be happy, and I know this doesn't necessarily sound quite right, and it's certainly not what our culture would teach us, but I don't have to be happy in order to be able to love Marietta. Are you catching that? It's important. God was loving us when he sent his son. And I know he wasn't happy about what he had to do, but he did it. He was loving us. So... Okay. Greg's going to pass out the homework, and I want to talk to you a little bit about it. We told you that this is going to be about actions and making things better, and also about introspection. So the first um, section is the application, but we want you to know what you need to do up front this week, which is we want you to act out your marriage vows. 
this week to better act them out. Um, and we want you to do something for each other. It doesn't have to be the same thing to demonstrate your love for each other. And then you have to write them down. To help you out, we're going to have you look at the common marriage vows, like to love, to honor, to cherish. And you're going to look at those. And the first we want you to do is determine what do they mean. What does it mean to honor? What does it mean to cherish? And then we want you to be specific on how you have, up to this point, shown your spouse that you honor them or cherish them. Now, if you can't think of anything, that's okay. Ask your spouse. (laughs) As you go through that exercise, though, you're going to find areas that you're not doing so hot in. And with those, within those areas, we're going to ask you to put on a prayer list. Now, don't get scared. It is your prayer list. You're not going to turn it into anyone. So we're going to give you a prayer list that you're going to track all the things that you need to pray about for yourself, all the areas that you're short, where you need improvement, that you're just going to make a quick note and Stick it in your car, pray, pray about it on the way to work, on the way home, pray about it while you're shaving if you're a guy, um, wherever you can grab a few minutes. The second section you're going to go through is um, looking at the 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 passage and, and what those different things mean. And then you're going to evaluate yourself on a scale from 1 to 10 on how you're doing. And again, you're going to look for areas where you can improve. And the last section is scripture reading. Just to reinforce the the things that we talked about tonight, the covenant and what that means, love, what that looks like. And then it will be next week before you know it, and we'll be back in this room. Right. Did you pass pass up the praying together? Okay. We're also going to take a few minutes tonight. And talk to you about praying together. Because as a one flesh couple, it's a requirement. That's the difference between us and couples of, you know, one of the differences should be our prayer life together. And um, you'll get another handout that talks about the reasons we pray together as a couple because we can access the power that God has for our unity of our marriage where if we don't pray together, we never get to access that power together. Um, We have the power of agreement and we have a built-in confirmation with our spouse when we're both praying together. And because we pray together, we will have 
um, we have shared interests and joint responsibilities to put before the Lord, and we get to share in those joint testimonies with the Lord when he answers those prayers. Sometimes that involves things very, very simply. Um, We start couples who have never prayed together with a really easy way to do this. You turn out the lights, you get in bed and turn out the lights. If you're married, go to bed at the same time. (laughs) Turn out the lights. Each one of you gets to request one prayer. It cannot be, make me a better wife. Make me a better husband, okay? It's got to be one thing. And it can be, if you can't think of anything else, everybody needs a good night's sleep. Everybody needs a good day tomorrow, right? So if you can't think of anything, use one of those. So you each say what you want prayer for, and the other one prays that prayer for the other person. So Greg might say, Starting out, typically I would say, you know, honey, I've got a, I've got a meeting tomorrow. Could you pray for it? And it'd be something as simple as that. And I might ask uh, Greg to give me a, to pray for a good night's sleep for me. And so he would pray my prayer request, and I, it doesn't matter who goes first. Although, if nobody will, the husband should. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and I, he would pray mine, and I would pray for his. And it doesn't need to be a long-winded, an hour and a half later, we're still laying in bed, and the other person is snoring. Okay? It just, if you're starting out praying together, it just, it, it's just a, few, it's a couple sentences. It's nothing big. And it's easy because the lights are out and nobody can see you. Amen. When you're, when you're praying together, keep in mind that this is, I'm going to tell you that this is, a, this is a huge tool for couples to be able to pray together, to be able to come together. As you start out praying together, make sure that you understand that this is an intimate time that I get to share with Marietta as I hear her present her uh, petitions to God. It's a very special time. So as we... As we pray together, you know, maybe you're just starting out and you're just praying the one, one request. What you're going to find out, though, is that over the course of time, if you abide by the guidelines in, in, that Steve is passing out right now, you're going to find out that these prayers begin to change. And they begin to get more intimate. And soon they begin to get more powerful as the two of you enter into agreement in prayer and you present your request in unity to the Lord God Almighty. Okay, and this prayer is talking to God. Don't criticize how your spouse talks to God. Yeah. There isn't a right way or a wrong way to talk to God. It's a very, again, you're in an intimate conversation that you get to be a part of. Allow your spouse to talk to God the way that is best for them. And it will not look the same way it does for you. Right. Yeah. And you don't want to get into criticizing anything. There's, 
there's no room for criticism in spraying, uh, praying with your spouse. And you don't want to discuss the validity of Scripture and how, in your prayers. Okay? This is just talking to God. We're just talking to God, and he hears whether I'm speaking eloquently or like I just, you know, climbed. Well, I don't want to say that. If <laughs> well, <laughs> Um, so if you, you know, continue to, to dedicate yourself to this and be patient with each other, show each other mercy and, and, and are consistent with it, what you'll find is that this exercise becomes a very integral part of a one flesh relationship. Yeah, we can pass that. On the handout, the second page, is if you've already been praying together for a while, we have um, a what we call the in-betweeners. You're not new to it, but you're, you haven't been doing it regularly or for a long time. And we tell you that um, you can actually enter into your time with the Lord with a period of praise and worship. That doesn't mean you need to sing or play an instrument. You can praise him with your words. No. Read a psalm. Psalms are worship to God. Um, you can use the word Philippians in particular to as a pattern for how you want to pray. And you can pray the word. And you could also um, keep track of, of how God answers your prayers with a if you're advanced with a prayer journal, and even asking other people to join you in some of the prayers that you've been praying. I know Greg and I have a real um, rich relationship with another couple where we pray together quite often for things affecting those people in our lives. So, Yeah, now one thing that I do want to say, and we've got it in the guidelines as far as praying together, listen, the... We do not look for um, the enemy or the devil under every rock. We don't. He's been defeated. Amen. But the truth of the matter is, is that the devil does not want you to do this. This is one thing he doesn't want you to do. So you, if you begin to do this, you're going to note that there might be some distractions or something that gets in the way. Don't let that hamper this. This is important. This is important as you grow together as a one flesh couple. This is probably one of the key issues that will allow you to go forward, draw closer to each other, draw closer to God. And so be aware of the distractions that the enemy might lob. Know that they're there. You know, typically what would happen is, you know, maybe we're going to pray in the morning. I'm going to get a work call. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. About time to, to pray together. Ring. Some big deal. Soon as it's over with, and I really rush those calls, come back together. Let's pray. Let's pray. When we have such, we're so easily distracted anymore. With you know, It was different um, when we didn't have cell phones, wasn't it? I mean, 
I mean, if you had a life before a cell phone, if you had one with a cord in the wall and that was the only phone in your house, it was sure easy to get away from it. So sometimes we need to turn those kinds of things off because it is, I mean, there's where it's going to come in. So every, every opportunity for the enemy to stop you praying together is going to happen, including, including getting really irritated at the other person for no reason while they're praying. Okay? Now, everybody stick your tongue out. Okay, now bite. <laughs> you cannot talk when you've bit your own tongue. So learn how to do that because I'm telling you, there are probably half the people in this room will need to bite their tongue the first time they pray together. Because that's just the way the enemy works. Yeah. Good. It's good. Do you have to bite your tongue? No. Well. No. In the past, <laughs> when in we the, first yeah, started probably, praying together, yeah, yeah, no I did bite it. my tongue. Yeah. And I kept thinking, what is wrong with me? Why is he that irritating me? What is going on in my my head and my heart that him praying hey, irritates me? That's enough of that. So I just okay, bit my tongue, a, and I never went hey. there. Oh. <laughs> my I would have never asked a question. <laughs> so anyway, so we're encouraging you to pray together. A um, couple of couple of housekeeping things before we before we close. Uh, in prayer, some of you came in a little bit late. There is a sign-up sheet somewhere around here, and we would really appreciate it greatly if you would put your name down on the sign-up sheet, uh, email, um, just so that Marietta and I, during the course of these six weeks that we're going to take you through this uh, this seminar, um, Marietta and I will literally be praying for each and every one of you. Um, and that, we found that that's very important. So we'll, we'll be praying for you. Uh, the reason we want your email is in case we need to contact you for any reason. There's a, maybe a delay or something going on with, the, with the, this Wednesday meeting. We might have to reach out to you. Be aware that these meetings are being recorded so that we can post them to the church's website as a podcast. So... If your spouse is not able to attend one of these sessions or if you're not able to make one of these sessions, we'd encourage you to listen to the podcast because each lesson is very each lesson builds one on the other. Next week we're going to take you through some pretty amazing stuff. Um, and, and, and what what we do is Marietta and I actually literally pray about what order these lessons come in based on what God is telling us these your needs are. So we're going to be praying. Right now we think we know what we're going to teach next week. And if, if, if that's what God tells us to do, you're going to be uh, blessed, I think. Amen. So why don't you all join with me and we'll close in a word of prayer. Well, Lord, um, it's not lightly that we come into your presence this evening, Father, as as we pray about our one flesh relationships, Lord. And so, Lord, in the name of Jesus, 
I lift up each and every couple that is here tonight, Lord. And those couples that are going through the course and on the, on the podcast as well, Lord. And Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you are going to rule and reign in those relationships over the next five weeks now. You know, and you are going to do things that people never believed could happen. I thank you, God, that you are a miracle-working God in, in terms of relationships. I thank you, God, that you are a God of relationship and that your desire is that every one-flesh relationship be good and sound and a powerful part of your kingdom, Lord. I thank you, Father God, that you are going to protect each and every heart here tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord God, that you're going to uh, provide new revelation, Father God, of, about your love and, and how you view a covenant relationship and how you view the relationship between a man and a woman and how important it is to you. And so, Lord, as these, as, as these couples leave here tonight, Father, I just ask that you would go with them Bless them in a mighty and a powerful way.